Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know if I told you, but I like to tell this. You know, I told you how long we've been married this morning. We've got four sons, and we have six grandchildren, and they are the joy of our lives. And uh, can I hear one amen for that? Because, I mean, surely we got more, more grandparents out there than just me. And uh, it's fantastic. Nothing like it. Uh, tonight, um, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love this. There's nothing like sitting in the presence of God and then coming around his word, hearing his word. Are y'all ready for a big word tonight? And you've got to know this about me. I don't hope you could at least that this was conveyed this morning that that I am not interested one single bit about uh, preaching some what was supposed to be great messages or sermons that people pat me on the back for. Uh, I love the Word of God, and I love the presence of God, and I want to see people's lives transformed. So the only way to measure if I have done a good job or been effective tonight is if in how somehow this impacts your life and somehow it makes a difference. And I'm believing for that tonight, that God is going to... That, you know, y'all realize there are those moments in our life where shifts take place. And I'm believing that for people here tonight, that there will be a shift that will take place uh, in people's lives. And I want to do it like this. Um, I want to begin uh, by telling you a little story, a little short story. Um, this is so fascinating. In the late 1940s, the U.S. commissioned a new ship called the SS United States. That's in the 1940s. It was an $80 million troop carrier built for the Navy, designed to carry 15,000 troops into war. It was the fastest, most reliable troop carrier in the world. It could go 10,000 miles without having to stop for fuel or supplies. It could outrun any other ship. It could go anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The only catch was that it never carried any troops. It was put on standby once in the Cuban Missile Crisis, but it was never used. Instead, it was retrofitted to become a luxury liner for presidents, heads of states, and celebrities. Now, as a luxury liner, it couldn't carry 15,000 troops, but just 2,000 passengers could enjoy the luxury of 695 staterooms, four dining salons, three bars, two theaters, five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators in the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of a ship used for battle in the trenches of wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who wanted to cruise peacefully across the Atlantic Ocean while sipping on their pina coladas. <laughs> Interesting story, isn't it? I read that one day and the thought hit me. I thought, I, we need to ask ourselves a crucial question. In the church, are we on a troop carrier or a luxury liner? Thank you for your tremendous response. <laughs> because on a troop carrier, as opposed to 
a luxury liner, uh, our demeanor is a lot different. Our, our allotment of resources is totally different. And our pace with which we move is different. You know, if you're on a luxury liner, it really doesn't make any difference much where you're going. You know, the joy is in just enjoying the journey. But in a, in a troop carrier, they go much faster because there's a mission. Yeah. And they've got to accomplish that mission. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but when I saw that, it just really struck me as a picture. What I've seen is I've traveled the world of two different kinds of churches. Thus, two different kinds of peoples. One kind, I've seen far too many of them. They're like luxury liners, you know, that where the, the people come, uh, you know, and the whole church is conducted much like a luxury liner where the people come, you know, um, to, so to speak, sip on their pina coladas, although we don't do that here, right? And, and um, sit by the pool and enjoy their air-conditioned staterooms. The, the destination for my life in that kind of church really is not that big of issue, meaning the destination of what am I here for? What has God put me here for? Where am I going? What am I called to do? What, what, my life, what is my life supposed to be about? What am I supposed to be doing right now to prepare? Am I supposed to prepare? Am I supposed to be involved and engaged in anything in the church? Am I supposed to be being discipled? Am I supposed to be growing? Am I supposed to learn how to minister? Y'all listen to me now. And, um, you know, there's no thought of that. Uh, but on a, on a troop carrier type church, I've been to many of those. And there is the, the whole focus of everything. Matter of fact, I've seen in these churches that there's just as many beautiful ministries that cater to the needs of the people. And the people are, are even more blessed. And uh, their lives are, are beautiful and wonderful. But everything revolves around one mission. There's a mission that the, in the church that people are rallying around, that, that we are here not just to have nice services and, you know, worship the Lord and then hear a message and go home and then go about our lives. But they're, they're, we're here to, to rally around a mission, to find out, first of all, what does God corporately want us to do? But then that means something for me personally. What does God want me personally to do that, that I am. Yeah, I, I love my wife, my my husband, you know, have a good job, provide for the family, you know, raise my kids, do all those things that that life consists of. But really, it's not all about that, that there is a mission in my life and that as I've come to Christ and give my life to him, that I begin to realize that nothing else really matters except revolving my entire life around this one purpose, and that is that God has placed me here on this planet and given me breath for a reason, and that he's equipped me, he's anointed me, and he's called me to fulfill a purpose in my life. And my whole quest and aim in life is to take everything God has done for me, in me, and through me, and to use it somehow to be developed, to be raised up, so that I may be a blessing in the world around me. That's not just an icy idea. That is the, the whole biblical reason that we're called into this family of God. Sure, we're going to make heaven our home one of these days. But let me tell you, if that was the only point, then we might as well just call people to the altar 
You have them raise their hand, come to the altar, get saved, and then just, boom, shoot them all so they can go on and enjoy heaven right now. Why spend all the rest of this time here dealing with all this mess? You with me now? Sure, the Bible talks about heaven, and I'm looking forward to heaven. But we don't need 66 books in the Bible to tell us about heaven, and it doesn't. But we need those 66 books to help us to understand who we are, whom we serve, and what we're called to do. Hallelujah. I like that. To do that, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. One of the main, one of the main keys to our life here in Christ is to understand who we are. Yes, we're a child of God. We are born-again Christians. But when we become Christ, then we also become soldiers. We are not consumers. We are soldiers in the army of God. Y'all got that? Everybody say soldiers. And he says, everyone who's a soldier, no one of those soldiers engaged in warfare entangles themselves with affairs, himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The key note to this is that God says that we are soldiers engaged in warfare. And one of the most important things that happened in my life, you know, that literally radically changed the way I live my life and pursued God's call in my life was when I began to understand that Rick Shelton was not here just to suck air on this planet, but that I'm a soldier and I'm engaged in warfare. You are engaged in a war in your life, every day of your life. When we, when we look at the problems, all the issues in our life, the difficulties, all of it ultimately is about a war that we've engaged in because we've gotten between God and the devil in this thing. Y'all with me now, huh? Yeah. And so the number one I wanted to say this, and that is that I appeal to you tonight. Everyone in this church, I appeal, I didn't ask the pastor to do this, but I appeal on behalf of the pastor and all the leadership. If you're a part of this church, get involved here. Get engaged in all of the discipleship mechanisms. Get engaged in serving in this house. It is completely unbiblical for anyone in this house as a believer to sit and just enjoy the services and then go home and never become engaged in the affairs of the church. I'm not saying that to get on you. I'm trying to challenge you. You know, because you say, oh, you're messing with my life. You don't want me to enjoy life. I actually do want you to enjoy life. But I want to tell you something. The only way you're going to find the life that you really want is to be able to, is to engage in this mission that God's called us to do. I feel so passionately about this. Every one of you, you're not just Christians. You're disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, your pastor mentioned this morning in introducing me, you know, that, you know, that one of the interesting things, you know, in our whole church history is that 
Joyce Meyer came into our church, and that her was raised up there, and the whole ministry came out of there. And it's such a fascinating story because when Joyce came to our church, she, you know, she, she just had a Bible study in her home. She felt she had a call of God to teach the gospel to the world. Uh, but yet, at that time, she just had a Bible study, never been in ministry full time. And she had a desire to be in ministry full time. But she comes to her church, her and Dave and their kids. And the day that Joyce came, I mean, the week they came, it's so interesting. Here's, if anyone maybe had a right to have some sense of being entitled, you know, she had a great gift and anointing on her life. But she came into the house and she immediately asked me, she says, what can I do to serve you and to serve this house of ministry? You listen, that's the first thing. It's so fascinating to me because, I mean, to me because now, you know, Joyce is so well known, but people don't know what it cost her to get there, what the journey was like. And Joyce began to serve in the house. She, be, she just, her whole desire was to be used of God. You know, she did everything in the world for us. It's even kind of funny to look back and think how that she, you know, she would come to me. She came to our house, called Donna one day, and she said, Donna, because we weren't giving her enough to do in the church. And so she called and she said, I want to clean your house. If you can imagine Joyce cleaning her house. She just did it once. But anyway, <laughs> back in that day, you know, I wore, we wore suits all the time, you know, and she come call one day and she said, I want to come and take your suits, you know, to be clean. And she just did everything she could to get as close uh, to what God was doing in the house, partake of that. And to serve her that, because she told me, this blew me away that she understood this early on. She told me early on, she says, I said, why are you doing all this? She said, it's because, she says, God has a call on my life. And I realize that, what, that, that whatever I sow into you and into this house, God is going to do for me. She says, if I tap into the anointing in this house, God's going to place that anointing on me. Before long, we Joyce was serving the house. After a little bit, we gave her the great, the great breakthrough came where we allowed her to stand up and, on the stage and do announcements. She was so exciting. I think she studied all night for that. She did great announcements and did one thing after another until finally time passed. And I asked Joyce, yeah, I asked Joyce that I needed a secretary. We call them secretaries in those days. I don't know if you call them those now. But anyway, you know, to assist me. And so I hired Joyce as my secretary. And then after she got there the first day, we got her all set up. I went into the church and began to pray. And as I prayed, the Lord told me, you've made a mistake. I said, with what? With what? She, he said, with Joyce and hiring Joyce. He said, I have a call in her life for something much greater. And at that time, she was so insecure. If you leave her in this position, she's going to become rooted and cling to this position, and she'll miss what I have for her. I went back that afternoon, and I told her at the end of the day, I said, Joyce, God told me. I said, what God told me. God said, it's not right, you know, that it was wrong hiring you. And she said, I'll never forget. She got all emotional. And she said, well, I've never been fired before. I said, well, I'm not firing you. I'm just letting you go. And anyway, my point is, is this. So I, I let her go. And you know, one day, work and let her go. And you know what? Most Christians I know, if that would happen to them in church, they would never show back up in the church again. They would get mad, fall out with the leadership and with the church, and they would, they would just leave and go somewhere else because that's what Christians do. 
But you know what Joyce and Dave did? They showed up the next Sunday. They were asking, how can we serve? They continued to serve in all the capacities they already were serving in. They, she had a smile on her face, joy in her heart, had a good attitude toward me and Donna. And, you know, everything was great. I took note of that. I said, this woman understands something that much of the body of Christ doesn't understand. People will serve in the house, and then if things don't happen like they want, now, I didn't even plan on saying all this tonight, so God must want me to say it. Hallelujah. Y'all with me? I am leaving town tomorrow, so I can say whatever I want, right? But I thought, this woman understands things that so much of the body of Christ doesn't. You know, if they, they will serve God and serve the house of God as long as things are going their way, as long as they are being recognized for what they do, as long as they are getting the place or the position they want or the approval that they want, as long as decisions are being made the way they want them to be made. But I'm telling you right now, the moment that things change or that they don't get what they want or that, you know, they don't get the recognition or somebody looked at them the wrong way, they get bent out of shape. This is normal stuff. I'm not pointing the finger at you. It's normal stuff in the body of Christ. But it's offensive to the Holy Spirit. If, you want, if we want to sing about the Holy Spirit and loving his presence and welcoming the Holy Spirit, then we must also welcome his laws and his principles in our lives. The presence and the power, the shower, the rain of the Holy Spirit does not fall just indiscriminately on any kind of ground. The ground has to be toiled and properly cultivated. And you are that ground. Hallelujah. And so they'll get bent out of shape and then they'll be mad. Maybe they'll stay in the church and get mad and start talking. And, you know, then they'll do this group of talk and that group of talk and they get all bent out of shape. And then a few people leave and this people leave and the church goes through these vicious cycles over and over. I don't know anything about this church, okay? I'm just talking about some other church, not you. You know, all the other churches I've been in. And I get so sick and tired of that because, first of all, it breaks the heart of God. Jesus, this is the bride of Jesus Christ. This is his precious bride. Let me tell you something. You can mess with me all you want. That's okay. But don't mess with that little girl right down there. You mess with her. And oh, you won't like what you see. You with me now? And we're messing with the bride of Christ. And we think nothing about it. We think we have latitude and liberty to do that. Like, you know, who, who cares? So what? We're messing with the body of Christ. We don't understand how serious of a thing that it is. That the, Jesus in his great prayer, when I think about fulfilling the ultimate purpose of God in the church. And I think surely in Jesus' great prayer in John 17. That is his prayer that ultimately he leaves the earth and leaves us with. Is John 17, you think, well, if, it's, if that prayer is going to accomplish all God wants to accomplish in the church, surely it would involve a lot of things. But you know, the only thing that it talks about over and over is God, may they be one as you and I are one. May they love you and you love as you love me and I love you and I love them and they love us. That we all may be one together. Because when they love one another, then the world will know that they are my disciples. Ha! Hallelujah. We love to indulge ourselves in all kinds of deep studies and spiritual pursuits. 
you know, you know, so we can grow into the deep things of God. But I want to tell you something. I think sometimes we need to just back off a bit and just take a deep dive into the pool of God's ocean of love and find out what it's like to be so bathed with love that no one in the church can offend us. No one in the church can make us feel angry or resentful that we can go through anything together as a body of believers and Satan cannot tear us apart. Hallelujah. Korabahaya. My God, this is not what I plan to say. I feel the Holy Ghost in this. It may be for one person. But let me just tell you, so many times we, we focus on what we think are the advanced things. We've got to know more. We've got to be deeper. You know, we've got to grow more. And yet, you know something? You know, the Bible says, the writer of Hebrews says, you're still, or Paul says, Paul said, you, you should be teachers by now. You should, isn't it interesting? He's talking to the body of Christ. He said, all of you should be teachers by now. You should be leaders by now. You should be doing something, leading in the body of Christ out into the world. He said, but you're still babes in Christ. Why? He says, because you're carnal. What does he describe as that carnality? He says, you're sectarian. You find you're divisive, and you've got this group and that group, and you get out of bit of shape for this, and they get out of, get bent out of shape for that. And I just, look, I appeal to you tonight. Again, folks, listen with all the love in my heart. I don't, I'm just saying this by the Spirit of God. Whoever needs it, take it. If you don't, just say, God bless the other brother across the aisle. <laughs> but I just appeal to you tonight. Whatever you do, whatever you do in life as a Christian, make sure you make this house, that you're a part of making this house a place of Amen. unconditional love, Amen. unconditional acceptance that will bring the favor of God. The 133rd Psalm, how beautiful, wonderful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. All of a sudden, the oil begins to flow. He didn't say when the worship team strikes up the right chord, the oil begins to flow. When the preacher preaches the right word, the oil. He said when they come together in unity, the oil begins to flow. Do whatever you can to show the world that here is a family of believers that will stick through anything together. That there's nothing that can tear us apart. That you know that, that if someone talks about you or even talks about this church or talks about this leadership, that you will say, you know what? I have a strong conviction that I will not listen to any of that garbage no matter who it's coming from. It's amazing when people leave and they start talking how they can seem so spiritual. They clothe everything in spiritual clothing. Well, you know, God has led us and God has spoken to us. Let me tell you something. If what is coming out of their mouth is poison, then what's in their heart is poison. Hallelujah. Down the front row. You like this, huh? Kind of. All right. That's all right. Let's stick together. You, you know, one of the things about it we don't understand is that, is that we don't. 
really ever come to know what a true kingdom relationship or friendship is until after we've gone through hell together. We've had a fight with each other, an argument. We've disagreed vehemently. I mean strongly. You some people think, well, if we had a little disagreement, that's one thing. But, oh, this is too big. What's too big? The Bible says that love covers all sins. I've had people say to me, say, oh, that brother, you know, they did this and that was wrong and whatever. I said, yeah, but, uh, but look now, you know, now, you know, look, forgive them. They're repenting. Yeah, but they didn't repent until they got caught. Well, so what? David didn't repent until he got caught. But God still accepted him and used him as a king. Hallelujah. Who cares why they turned around? And even if they haven't turned around, don't forsake them, but love them through all of their sin. Because you only know. It's just like in marriage. When people, you know, people get divorced over today, they call it irreconcilable differences. I said, give me a break. My wife and I have been married 46 years, and we've still got irreconcilable differences. <laughs> I mean, she still believes things or th- has a certain way and uh, certain ideas, and I totally disagree with it. We have irreconcilable differences. She likes one thing, I like another. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. To get divorced for irreconcilable difference, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean we're getting divorced because we married someone opposite of us? Big deal, everybody marries someone opposite of them. You don't want to marry someone who's just like you. Trust me. And in the body of Christ, we find people getting divorced spiritually from other believers and from the body of Christ, from churches. I've seen people leave churches, divorce themselves in the church, and go marry another church, and then talk about that church that they divorced from. And they don't realize how much they're breaking the heart of their husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. They will know that we're his disciples by our love. Well, all that came out of Joyce's story. So let me get back to it. Joyce, so she was great after I fired, let her go. And, <laughs> and, you know, just kept serving. Speed up now a couple of years later. Joyce had been serving and been growing in the house. I was watching. She was growing, I mean, like crazy. She would watch everything we would do, and she would go do it herself, and she was learning so rapidly. She engaged in every study or every discipleship uh, mechanism we had. And finally, we took one day and we said, jo- invited Joyce to come on staff as one of our pastors. And so she came on staff as one of our pastors. And part of her responsibilities is we had her take her women's Bible study that she's having at home on Thursday morning and said, let's bring it to church and let's have a Thursday morning Bible study for women at church. And so she starts doing that. And within one year, she was having seven to 800 women every Thursday morning at our church. So now her ministry right there in her church on her staff is exploding. 
Now listen to this. It's exploding. And in that day, we used to, you know, in our media department, the way that we published our sermons, you know, as far as recorded sermons, was cassette tape. Does anybody remember those good old cassette tapes? Let me tell you, Pastor, that's when messages were really anointed, when they were on cassette tape. I wore many a cassette tape out, man, and my life was revolutionized. So we would produce cassette tapes of my messages and, of course, anybody else that was preaching in the church. So we also produced the messages of Joyce on Thursday morning. And the head of my media department came to me one day and he said, Pastor, he said, I thought we all ought to let you know that we are now selling more of Joyce's tapes than we are your tapes. <laughs> Listen to this. And I, look, I knew it wasn't right. I knew at the time it wasn't right that I felt this ugly feeling inside. I felt just like this yucky feeling, like, ugh, Joyce is selling more tapes than I am. You know, everybody knows that the senior lead pastor is supposed to sell them more tapes than anybody else. And, and I just got this ugly feeling inside. But, of course, I, I'm committed to doing what is right, and I knew this feeling wasn't right, so I got before the Lord one day, and I began to pray. And I said, God, I've just got to know. I said, is this right? Is this okay for Joyce to sell more tapes than me? It sounds funny, but really, any pastor would, would, would relate to this instantly. It wasn't just the tapes. It was this feeling of, as a shepherd watching over his flock. Is this going to cause some kind of division? Is there, People are going to start just following someone else instead of the whole vision. There are going to be two visions in the house, all that kind of thing. That was bugging me. And I got to admit, it was bugging me that she was just selling more tapes than me. I'll never forget it. First thing the Lord said, he said, look, I, he said, I said you'd be the pastor of this church, but I never told you you'd be the best preacher in this place. I said, great, God agrees with the people now. And then the Lord spoke this to me. He said, Rick, he said, you have sons, right? I said, yeah, Lord, I have two sons at the time. He said, was well, you trained and raised those boys? He said, as you're raising them up when they become an adult, he said, are you training them and raising them up? To, to succeed just a little less than you do? He said, are you raising them up? Is your desire to raise them up to succeed just as much as you do? Or is your desire to raise them up to go way beyond you? I said, Lord, my whole passion, desire, any father's heart, his desire is to, is to raise up his sons and daughters to succeed way beyond where he goes in his lifetime. He said, well, I've sent Joyce here as a disciple as a daughter in this house, and said, if you'll treat her the same way you treat your sons, I'll raise her up to do what I've called her to do, and I'll thus send many more like her in this house so you can raise them up too. And from that moment, it changed my mentality. It changed my posture toward her, not only her, but all of the people I was raising up in the house. Something shifted in me because up until that point, my whole goal is I was discipling people and training people to help me do what God had called me to do. I was raising them up to be workers, servers in the house. And all of a sudden I shift and I realize when people come into the house of God, there's an anointing and a call and a treasure on each one of them. And they are not there for me to raise them up so that they can be a follower or so they can just be a worker or a servant in the house. But God is raising them up. God wants me to raise them up to go way beyond me in my lifetime. 
And I began to understand then that everybody is to be engaged in the house of God in being discipled, trained, raised up, serve in the house. Not just to ultimately all your life to do that job, serve in the house. But God has a mission for you. And he wants to everybody in the house of God ultimately is to become a leader. I've told our church that for years. When they come in the house, I said, look, you've created this place to be raised up as a leader. If you don't want to be a leader, you probably won't enjoy it here because this is a house full of leaders. And our goal is to raise you up to be a leader in the house of God and out in the world to do what God's called you to do. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's you I'm talking about. Amen. Look at the person next to you. Say, that's you he's talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So anyway, listen. I, uh, oh, Lord, I'm going to skip over all this because I just don't have time for that and that and this. I don't have time for that. There you go. Hallelujah. Watch this. Are you ready? No, look, don't, don't, don't moan about this because I know, I can tell you I'm following the Holy Spirit right now. God is speaking to people. So how do we become a soldier? How do we become a soldier engaged in this warfare? How do we engage ourselves in becoming trained? Is it just joining a class? Is it just, you know, signing up for some place to serve in the house? Do you know you can do those things and never, ever become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Being a true disciple of Jesus Christ is not just about holding down a position or a job or joining a class. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ requires an entire change of ownership of your entire life, your body, your mind, and your spirit, and everything you own and everything that you have. The Bible tells us this. He says, I love this. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, in that verse we just read, it says at the end, it says, that be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, gazed in warfare, not entangling yourself in the, the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The ultimate goal that God has for you, not just the goal, but the ultimate posture that we as Christians are to adopt for our lives is this posture that our life is not our own, but our life belongs to Jesus. And everything that we are involved in, in the affairs of life and in being a soldier of Jesus Christ, is engaged with this posture of a change of ownership. You get saved. You're born again, right? You get forgiven. Jesus comes to live inside you. We start praying, reading the Word. We love God. But there's something more that needs to happen. That there's not, not just be forgiven and, and begin to worship and love Jesus, but there has to become a change of ownership. That this is not about me, it's about Him. Everything in my life is about pleasing, about pleasing Him who enlisted me as our, a soldier. It's so interesting, and watch this. When He says, did not be entangled in the affairs of this life, I find that interesting, entangled, because we're all involved in the affairs of life. You have to be. He said, be involved, but just don't be entangled in them. In other words, don't be so immersed in all your stuff of life, whether it's your career, 
your family, your material things, don't get so bogged down and entangled in them that you're not free to serve God and love God in such a way that everything in your life pleases Him. You can be born again and God begin to bless you and ultimately your life gets bogged down because you start using that stuff just for yourself and you're still making your own decisions, guiding your own path, living your own life. And thus you begin to get bogged down, entangled in the affairs of this life. And then this whole vicious cycle begins. When we come to church, we love God, we get refreshed on Sunday, and then we get wore out throughout the week by the end of the week where we need to come back in and get refreshed because we're bogged down with the affairs of this life. Folks, let me tell you, all of us face worry or fear at some times. But if you are living your life on a regular basis, being entangled with worries and cares of this life, if you're all frustrated and frazzled because of the stuff that's just happening in life, whether it's raising your kids or, or, you know, your job, your career, whatever it is, I want to tell you something. There's something amiss in your life. It means that you still have ownership of your life. Ultimately, everything in our lives is not for us. It's for the glory of God. Do you understand that you live, only live and breathe air and work and play and raise your family only for one reason, and that is to bring glory to God? You don't come to church and get engaged in a church like this, worship, hear messages, pray, read the word, so that you can have this wonderful, blessed, beautiful life. Now, let me tell you something. God, God wants us to have a blessed, wonderful, beautiful life. There's no question about that. But that's not the goal. That's not the pursuit. Ultimately, that has to be laid aside. What if God, what if God would desire temporarily to take some of that from you and have you to lay it aside? Could you still serve God with the same vigor and the same passion without that? There's nowhere in the Bible that it teaches what we do many times in churches today where we lead people to the altar. And then I've heard guys say, come to Jesus and he'll take away all your problems and fulfill all your dreams. And you'll have your best life now and you'll have all this stuff. And I say, where does that say that in the Bible? When Jesus gave an altar call, he said, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. Ooh, y'all glad you invited me tonight, huh? <laughs> I'm doing this because I love you. I, let me tell you, I want to pull something out of you. All of you want this. We all want it because we've got the seed of God on the inside of us. Ultimately, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross that you may follow me. He said, because this is so interesting. The man who lives always trying to save his life will end up losing it. And the man or woman who ends up losing their life for my sake, Jesus said, and the gospel, they will end up saving their life. Amen. Isn't it interesting? The only way that we really get the life we want is by giving it all up in the first place, surrendering it all to the foot of the cross. God spoke to my wife one day when she was dealing with stuff, and God spoke to her and says, I forget what it was, but it was profound. What was it, Donna? <laughs> No, you'll never be anything. No. You'll never be anybody with something 
unless you're somebody with nothing. Isn't that good? All right, don't get such a big response. That was better than my preaching, all right? Listen, you'll never be anybody with something until you're somebody with nothing. One of the great tests of life is not how exuberant and, and demonstrative you are in worship whenever everything is going right and going your way. But what about when all hell is breaking loose in your life? What about when there's loss in your life? You suffered setback. You suffered some deep crisis in your life. It looks like God didn't show up when he was supposed to show up. And then people begin to cry out, shake their bony finger in the face of God and say, God, where were you in all of this, God? We think we know what God should have done. But let me tell you something. Until you're able to live a joyous, beautiful life in love with Jesus, full of joy when all hell's breaking loose, you're not ready to fully live the life that God has called you to live, being used of him. I love this little story of the three Hebrew children. You remember that? When old Nebuchadnezzar threw him into the was getting ready to throw him in the furnace. And I love this. The th three Hebrew children said, Oh, King Nebi, if you throw us into this fire, let it be known that, I, let it be known that our God will rescue us. Isn't that awesome? In other words, that was their posture. We know. We believe in miracles and breakthroughs. God is going to come through for us. But we also want you to know, King Nebi, that if you throw in this fire, in this fire, and God doesn't rescue us, let it be known we're still not going to bow down to your false idol. I listen. I love that because listen. In the end, you know, people try to wrestle theologically over this issue. Well, wait a minute. You can't say that. What if God doesn't? Because God always will. And the thing is, is that it's not a matter of you know, well, does God want to bless us? Does he want to bless us? Of course, is he, of course he wants to bless us. But many times we're more interested in getting the promises of God for us, and God's more interested in getting us for his promise. We're more interested in God giving us something. God's more interested in getting us. Thank you for your tremendous response. So the thing is, is this. So I love this faith of the three Hebrew children. It's the same faith that Job had, you know, when all hell broke loose in Job's life. Lost everything, including his health as a wreck now. And he's laying there in terrible pain. And his wife comes to him and says, honey, curse God and die. And he says, just get out of here, crazy woman. <laughs> Something like that. You have to read my translation of the Bible. It's very interesting. And then he says this, and I, this, I love this, because theologians have just argued over this. He said, he said, though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. And people have wrestled over that. Oh, wait a minute. You know, he was wrong in that. You know, some people say, well, God will slay us. Others say, no, God won't slay us, but he'll allow it. Others say, no, he won't slay us, and he won't even allow it. And they don't get it. The Job was not... A professor 
in a seminary teaching a course on the sovereignty of God. Job was a man and full of pain and agony. And what his statement was saying when he said, though God slay me, I will trust him. He was not making a theological point about, well, I believe God does slay. What he was saying is, let the devil be known. Let all the angels, the demonic angels in hell know. Let the angels in heaven know. Let God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost know. I don't know whether God, how much God's involved in this or not. All I know, even if God did it, let it be known the devil's not going to get my praise. The devil is not going to get my worship. He's not going to get me to change my stance. That's what it means to become a true soldier of Jesus Christ. Dealing with adversity. He says endure hardship as a good soldier. Isn't that interesting? You don't see people putting that promise on their mirror every morning, you know, to quote... In Jesus' name, I will endure hardship as a soldier. No, we're believing to get out of hardship. And God, thank God, he delivers us out of hardship many times. We, we serve a delivering, miracle-working, breakthrough-making God. But that's not the point. The point is, if hardship comes, and folks, it has come to most of you, if not every one of you, either now or at some time in the past. And what you do with that hardship in the moment of trial, will literally define what kind of follower of Jesus Christ you are. Though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. It's like Job was getting the devil by the nap of the neck. Say, listen to me, buddy. There ain't nothing you can do to stop my prayer. They ain't nothing. Buddy, try your best shot. There ain't nothing you can do to get me to believe that my God is not a good God and that he has a best plan for my life. He was saying, in essence, who cares how this happened, why it happened, and what happened? All I know is ultimately God will work this thing out for my Can you believe that? But can you believe it in the midst of the darkness? I've had people come want to give testimony. And I watched them go through their trial. And they come want to give testimony after they come out. Oh, I want to give testimony. I say, you can give a testimony in my church. Why? Because I watched you go through the test. You were complaining and grumbling and crying and mad at God, mad at people all the time you're going through this test. Now that you're going to come out of it, you want to give a testimony? You're not going to give a testimony here till you go through the test and get the money, then you can give a testimony. Yeah. But you get the money. That's deep, ain't it? That's in the Greek. You get the money when you stand strong and peaceful and keep the joy of God in your heart. Keep loving Him and loving people in the midst of all hell breaking loose. You say, well, pastor, it's hard. Well, that's why he says here, hardness. Endure hardness. It's hard. But it's only hard on your flesh. Trust me. The battle can be raging 
all around you out there. But whatever you do, don't let that battle and storm get in here. You can, you can run the devil off. You can run the devil off as long as he's outside of the camp. But when the devil gets inside the camp, it's hard to run him off. Hallelujah. Look at the person next to you say, you know he's preaching to me, don't you? Tell him that. Come on. Uh-huh. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Listen to this. Ultimately, the whole, the whole thing is about lordship. Now, just listen to this, folks. You know, Pastor, I love this. You know, for years, I, at different times growing up, I heard people preach messages that were, I considered hard. You know, like, oh, tough messages, you know. I mean, they, and I didn't like it. And so I, re- I kind of repelled for some time me preaching anything that wasn't just the blessing of the Lord. And you know what? I begin to realize something. The reason I rejected those messages, I didn't like them for, is because the people who preached them were always angry when they preached them. And they were preaching down to me, accusing me. And it's like this hard fire and brimstone hammer coming down on me. And I begin to realize that this kind of appeal that Jesus makes to this kind of living is not to be hard on us. It's not because he's mad on us. It's because he knows that he has the best plan for our life. And he knows if he can ever get us to give up the reins and control of our own destiny, our own life, and give it to him, he will be able to work out a life for us that will be better than we ever dreamed. You know, the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden, it wasn't just the tree. You know what the tree was all about? The fruit. It was the devil lied to him, and here's what he told them. In essence, he said, look, you need to eat this tree. Why? Because God is holding out on you. There's something else to be had in life that God is not giving you. And God is not good enough to provide the kind of life that you really want. So you need to take it out of God's hands and put it in your own hands. And I begin to realize the great sin they committed was not believing that God loved them enough, that he was good enough to them, that he would provide a better life for them than they would provide for themselves. Amen? I wrestled with this so much until I laid my life before the Lord. I did this. You know, I know I've gone over here, but can I have just a couple more minutes? Let me me tell you a story in ending this. You know, and I was just with a young guy. I was not with a young guy. I was a young guy. I wasn't with a young guy. Trust me. I was, I was a young guy. And, I mean, you know, I was 21 years old. Before that, all my life growing up as a kid, you know, my mom and dad kept all the preachers that came through town. And I'll never forget. They would sleep in my bed. They'd go buy donuts after church at night. And they'd come on. They'd put us to bed. And they'd go eat donuts or something and laugh and have a party. So they were eating my, eating my food and sleeping in my bed. And I grew up being angry at that. And I told all my friends, I told people around me, I said, you mark it down. I'll do other things for God, but I'll never be one of those preachers. You just mark it down. I'll never be a preacher. Well, I ended up going to university, met my wife there. 
fell in love with my wife. Came to her one day and said, honey, said, I love you. I want to marry you. Will you marry me? She said to me, she said, well, I love you too, but I can't marry you. I said, why? She said, because you've told me and everybody else that you'll never be a preacher. I said, yeah, so? She said, when I was 14 years old, I got down on my knees and I dedicated my whole life to God. And God said that if I would dedicate my whole life to him, that he, when I become an adult, that he, I would meet a preacher and that I would marry him and we would travel around the world preaching the gospel together. She said, I can't marry you because you won't be a preacher. I said, well, I'm not going to be a preacher. No matter what, I, I want to marry, but I don't, I'm not going to be a preacher. So we're going to break up. You know, we're not going to talk to each other. Don't look at each other. You just go your way. I'll go my way. Because you know, if you change your mind, come and let me know. <laughs> Something like that. It's been a long time. You know, details are vague. But <laughs> Sometime later, I was on campus, and I saw my wife coming. And my wife came crawling on her hands and knees back to me. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> she said, I want to marry you. We got married. She said, now one year passed, two years, three years. Through those three years, I became more and more miserable. I didn't know why. I was, I, you ever been fighting the will of God so much in your life that you just got totally miserable? Your whole life became miserable? I came home from work finally one day. I was 21 years old. Came home from work, fell across my bed. I cried out to God and said, God, what's going on in my life? What are you doing? I hate my life, God. What do you want to say? I never had a vision before, but all of a sudden a vision popped up before me. And all it was was a blank piece of paper, a blank piece of paper with a place for somebody to sign at the bottom. And I said, God, what is this? And he said, that's my will for the rest of your life. Now sign it. I said, well, God, I've, if this is a contract we're dealing with here, I've signed contracts before. Don't you need, if you'll just fill it in, Lord, all the details so I can know what I'm agreeing to, then I'll sign it. I'll never forget it. He said, no, you sign it, and then I'll fill it in. I instantly understood lordship. He was giving up ownership of my life. I saw myself in that vision with trembling. I wrote my name on the bottom of that page. That's all there was. It was Blake. I wrote my name, signing my life away to God. When the pen hit the table, I heard the voice of God say, Now go preach the gospel. I thought I knew that's what you were going to say. That's why I didn't want to sign it. And now here we are 40 some 40 years later. 40 some years later, and I look back and I see the life that Don and I have been able to live. I think, my God, I could have never planned this for myself. And you know what? You know what kind of life I was holding on to? Why I was refusing to sign it? The life I was holding on to. And I thought this is the life that I want. I was a Twinkie salesman. Do you know what Twinkies are? Twinkies are these little cakes they sell in stores, yellow, yellow cakes. They say they last 2,000 years. They call them tribulation Twinkies. Every morning, I would get in my Twinkie truck. I would back up to the bakery at 5.30 in the morning, pick up my Twinkies. I had my Twinkie suit on with a big yellow Twinkie on it. I had my Twinkie hat with a big yellow Twinkie on my hat. And that's the life I was protecting. 
I thought how stupid we are many times trying to protect a life that if we only realize that if we give our life to God fully, don't hold anything back. Say, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. That all of a sudden it unleashes a future that we can never dream of. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.